G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Welcome to On The Rock, God's unchanging word for changing times with Dr. Camille Majdali, Director of Teach All Nations Melbourne, Australia. Dr. Camille lived and studied in the Middle East, served as a principal of a leading Bible college and now travels the world teaching God's word. He has an extraordinary knowledge of the Bible and a dynamic ability to make God's truth come alive in a real, practical way. This episode of On The Rock will give you keys to survive and succeed in the days ahead by hearing and doing the words of Jesus. Have you ever been in a situation where you were faced with a staggering reality that you did not expect and there was an overwhelming feeling of emotion? Well, in today's program, we're going to see exactly this when we look at the book of Zechariah. Our series is entitled, The Coming King, Understanding the Book of Zechariah, a verse-by-verse commentary, part of the larger Understanding the Bible series. We're going to look at Zechariah 12, which talks about the deliverance of Jerusalem in the last days. Remember that Jerusalem, Israel, Palestine, Middle East, always in the news, center of global attention. And the reason it's the center of political attention is because not of politics, but because of theology, because of the spiritual realm. And that Jerusalem that was taken by King David from the Jebusites 3,000 years ago and converted into his city, the royal city, the capital of Israel, because of that, it has been an amazing place of constant invasions, occupations, and so on. And to this day, it is now the uh, rope in a geopolitical tug-of-war game between various parties. It's not just between Israel and the Arabs. It's between Israel and the Vatican, the United Nations, the European Union, and the United States, Russia, and telling you the cast of players is very, very big. All of them have a say in the final status of Jerusalem, and apparently each and every one of them has a veto as well. After all, there have been six dozen attempts, or actually, let me say it this way, 60 attempts, that's better, to solve the status of Jerusalem. And every one of those attempts and proposals has been voted down by one or more parties. This, of course, is leading to a time of conflict. In the conflict, there will be a cry of desperation. In this case, when Judah and Jerusalem are besieged, they will cry out to the Lord. Then they'll see the one whom they've pierced. They will mourn for him as an only son, and it will bring an enormous sense of, shall we say, relief. Now, let's take a look here at verse 11 of Zechariah chapter 12. In that day, there shall be a great mourning in Jerusalem, as the mourning of Hadad Rimon in the valley of Megiddo. Now, the mourning isn't necessarily unto death. There is mourning because something had died. But there can also, 
on occasion be mourning, not because something died, but because of a missed opportunity, of a prolific relational failure, of somehow mourning for something that was lost and now it's been found again. There is the famous book called War and Remembrance by Herman Wolk. He had his book, or it actually was turned into a miniseries on television about 30 years ago. But Byron, the American soldier hero, after the war ended, he tried to find his Jewish son, Lewis, because the mother was Jewish, Natalie. And literally, Byron looked all over Europe trying to find his son. And eventually, you know, he was in the Czech Republic, and then he was in... uh, I think in Germany somewhere, and then finally he flies to Britain. Now, the last time Lewis had seen his uh, mother was at Theresienstadt in Czech. That's the last time. And for all they knew, he could have been dead. But somehow Byron had hope that he could find his son again. So he went to these various places looking for Lewis. I mean, talk about the proverbial needle in the haystack. He ends up in Britain because he just so happened to hear a conversation where it said some of the orphan children in Czech had been sent to England for rehabilitation and psychological counseling. Byron gets to Britain, knocks on enough doors, and eventually when he sees Lewis, he just loses it all. He weeps and weeps and weeps, not because something had been lost, but because his son had been found. Let's read the entire passage now in Zechariah 12, verses 10 to 14. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. In that day shall there be a great mourning in Jerusalem, as the mourning of Hadad Rimon in the valley of Megiddo. And the land shall mourn every family apart, the family of the house of David apart, and their wives apart, the family of the house of Nathan apart, and their wives apart, the family of the house of Levi apart, and their wives apart the family of Shimei apart, and their wives apart, all the families that remain, every family apart, and their wives apart. This is Zechariah chapter 12, verses 10 to 14. In the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3 and verse 4, it talks about there's a time and purpose for every season under heaven. It goes on to say there's a time to mourn and a time to dance. Well, in this case, it is clearly the time to mourn. But as we see, it's not always mourning for what is lost. You can also mourn for what is found, but you're mourning for what has been lost prior to finding that beloved object or person. Back to Byron and Natalie and Lewis, the fictitious couple in Herman Wilkes' Wars and Remembrance. I I still remember that scene so well. And I don't, I'm not a movie buff. I really don't (laughs) uh, keep up with all that Hollywood is doing. But this one really got my attention and it was well done. But remember, when Byron found Lewis in Britain of all places, when he was last seen in Czech, Lewis was probably only three or four years old. 
sitting among the children. Yet he was easily recognizable by his father, and it was amazing, the, the reunion they had. It took him a while, mind you, before he actually started talking, but eventually he talked. Once they were reunited with Lewis's mother, Natalie, in a Paris hospital. It was interesting, too, because Byron got to the orphanage just in time because they were soon packing the kids up to send them to Canada for further treatment. Boy, if he had gone to Canada, that would have been even harder to lay hold of. So the point being, when Byron saw his son for the first time in years and realized his son had been saved from sure death at the hands of the Nazis, he had been preserved, that he that was lost is now found. Think of the story of the prodigal son. Now, while I don't believe it records the father of the prodigal son having to cry, in fact, the father of the prodigal son was very excited, but there's possibly the fact that he had tears of joy in his rejoicing. We talk about this release of emotion, pent-up emotion, like what Byron had, perhaps what the father of the prodigal son had, as a catharsis. What is a catharsis? A catharsis is basically when people have a release and relief from pent-up emotions. What happened to the prodigal son, what happened to Byron, is what happens to Israel. But before we talk about their mourning, let's talk about what happened first. So we'll go back to verse 10 of Zechariah 12, because this event is spoken of with great anticipation. Indeed, this event is spoken of in Romans 11, verse 15, that basically when Israel sees that Jesus is the Messiah, it will be as life from the dead. And can I just add, it is probably one of the greatest ironies in history that the people who waited for this coming King and Redeemer missed out, or shall we say missed the platform, or how should we say missed recognizing him for who he was, even though they were looking for him, and yet the people who weren't looking for him, the Gentiles, they received him. Very ironic, but of course that's not the whole story, because they believe Messiah's coming, and even now some in Israel say, we believe Messiah's coming, and it wouldn't surprise us if he came once before. But let's go back to Zechariah 12 and verse 10. And I will pour out upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. All right, so there is much said in this verse, in only a few words. Well, that's very typical of Hebrew and Greek, the languages of the Old and New Testament, respectively. For one word of Hebrew or Greek, you can say three or four words in English. So the spirit of grace and supplication will be poured out on the house of David and the people of Jerusalem. Of course, just pouring out the Holy Spirit is an act of grace to begin with, because nobody organically deserves the fullness, the blessing, the empowerment, the enablement of the Holy Spirit. But God gives it anyway. He gave it to a few select individuals in the Old Testament period, the prophets, the priests, and the kings. They had a spirit anointing, perhaps even a spirit filling, but 
come the New Testament, everyone who follows God, everyone who believes, everyone who receives by faith can also not only receive Messiah by faith in their hearts, but Messiah will baptize them, immerse them, fill them with the Holy Spirit. So now this experience is not for a select few, but it's for all who call on the name of the Lord. It's an act of grace. We see here that after this invasion of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is delivered, that the spirit of grace and supplication is poured out on the house of David. They will have their eyes open, and it says again, they will see me whom they have pierced. Now remember, it starts off, I will pour out on the house of David the spirit. That's God, because only God can pour out the spirit. And now it's talking about me whom they have pierced, basically saying it was God who was pierced. But as I explained in the previous lesson, it's Jesus whom they have pierced. That is for sure. Jesus Christ, Son of God, and he is the one that pours out the Holy Spirit, as John the Baptist promised. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he that comes after me, who is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not even worthy to loosen, he's the one that will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So this is the one who is pierced, is the same one that pours out of the Spirit. They shall then, when they recognize him, the scales fall off their eyes, the veil is taken from the heart, the stone is rolled away. When they see this, it will be like the father seeing the prodigal son. It will be like Byron seeing his son Lewis in that orphanage after a very thorough search of the continent of Europe. And when that happens, it's priceless, it's indescribable, it's amazing. But they will go in mourning as a family that had lost its only son. They will be in bitterness because of this so-called missed opportunity, lack of recognition, not giving credit where credit is due. It says in that day, even though Jerusalem has been delivered, there will be great mourning. Because after all, it was in Jerusalem to begin with that the son of David was crucified. Rather than being crowned, he's crucified. Even though a few days earlier, he was welcomed into Jerusalem as the son of David. Yet, he was crucified. So, recognizing the injustice, the blindness, the rebellion, there will be mourning in the holy city. And it goes into detail here. It will happen not just in the city of Jerusalem, but had at Ramon in the valley of Megiddo. I can't tell you exactly where these are. Could be Valley of Megiddo. Not sure. Verse 12, and the land shall mourn. So it's not just Jerusalem, but the whole land. Every family apart. The family of the house of David, they will go their way and mourn privately with their wives. The family of the house of Nathan, they will mourn in a separate location. They will do so with their wives. And then there's the house of Levi, the priestly tribe, they will mourn with their families in a place separate, apart. Then the family of Shimei, they will be apart, and their wives too. All the families that remain, every family apart, and their wives apart. So this is the great national mourning. 
Various well-known families will go to their own corner to mourn. This is the catharsis, the release of pent-up emotions when they realized what they had done. Do you think that maybe the brothers of Joseph had a similar experience? Let me read to you that portion out of Genesis 45 after Judah in chapter 44 made his masterful speech and defense of his brother Benjamin, not realizing that this hardened uh, prime minister of Egypt happened to be their long-lost brother Joseph. Once Judah was done speaking, in verse 1 of Genesis 45, it says, Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood by him. And he cried, Cause every man to go out from me. And there stood no man with him, while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph. Doth my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. I believe they would have been troubled because he was crying so loudly, so emotionally. Joseph was having a catharsis. After everything was explained in Genesis 45, verses 14 and 15, it reads, And he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept upon his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brethren and wept upon them, and after that his brethren talked with him. What a release of emotion. In fact, the recognition of Jesus, the Messiah by Israel, is very much like Genesis 45. There's weeping, there's mourning, but not because of loss. On the contrary, there's weeping and there's mourning because of what was found. Now, our lesson is entitled, A Time to Mourn. What is our lesson for life? Our lesson for life is that mourning may not be pleasant, but it can activate deep repentance that brings salvation and revival. Remember to come to our homepage where you can subscribe to the free monthly Issachar Teaching e-letter. It's an email magazine that helps you to become future-ready through articles on the Scripture, Victorious Living, and current events in the light of God's Word. In addition, you can also go to our Facebook page, Teach All Nations, Education, and thank you for liking our page. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time of mourning, very similar to Genesis 45, Joseph and his brethren. God, I pray that the day will be sooner than later, that they will look on him whom they have pierced, They will mourn for him because this is made possible only through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. No other reason. Religion will not open their eyes, but the outpoured spirit will open their eyes. Help him do that for them. Help him to do that for us. And that when we see, we can enter into the kingdom of God. For this we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Today's On The Rock was brought to you by Teach All Nations. If you would like more information about this ministry, to download podcasts, view our online store, attend special events, sign up for our teaching newsletter, make a donation to support this ministry, or to invite Dr. Camille to speak, log on to www.tan.org.au or write to us at Post Office Box 493, Mount Waverley 3149. 
Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.